Hello there, you lovely listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Raging Romantics that features a Jackie deep dive. This time, we're looking at polyamory. Hey there, romance nerds. I'm Jen. And I'm Jackie. We're two librarians from Nopal in upstate New York, and you're listening to Raging Romantics. In this podcast, we like to think a little too deeply about romance books. If you're into theory, history, and raging about romance landia, then you should stick around. Please be advised that some of the things we talk about may not be suitable for younger listeners. Content warnings for episodes are available in the show notes. Jen, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Let's Let's rage! rage! Hey, Jackie. Yes? How many polys does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Well, polys don't actually screw in light bulbs. They screw in hot tubs. (laughs) 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 Yeah, if that doesn't set the tone for this episode, I don't know what's going to. (laughs) Thank you, Jen. That was beautiful. You know how I love to set a vibe? Yes. Cut a vibe. Anyways, um, as always, thanks to Nopal for hosting this podcast and for continuing to support Jen and myself in our quest for knowledge. Romantic knowledge. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we like to know things because we always like to be right. But um, if you're not in the central New York area, you can find us online at nopal.org, where we do still have some virtual programming you can attend even if you're not in central New York. Or be sure to visit your friendly local library and show them some support. Um, don't forget also we are still doing the surveys from last time we would like to know who's listening and we would like to know your favorite fictional love interest those will be linked in the show notes for you Mm -hmm. and with all that being said this is going to be a long episode so I think Jen we need to like dive right Right in in. okay I'm ready let's go okay sweet sweet before we begin I think I might need to enter just like a general content warning for this episode We're going to be talking about some topics that some listeners might find triggering. In general, we are discussing polysexual and polyamorous pairings. As always, this is a safe space and we support you and your gender and sex identities. We will be talking about the potential harm and the benefits of polyamory. um, And we will be be talking about sexually exploitative instances where polyamory has been the subject. Um, I will be using the word harem and reverse harem repeatedly throughout this episode. And we will have a discussion at the end about the potential harm those terms could perpetuate. Also, there will be brief discussions around harems in in romance novels and in a larger cultural sense, as well as polygamy and polygyny and brief mention of unofficial Mormon practices here in the United States. Further discussions will center around sexual exploitation and non-consensual practices that have been observed historically and contemporaneously in these situations, though we will not be going into explicit details. So please, I think that is the longest content warning I've ever issued for an episode, (laughs) but I promise this is not going to be like a scary episode at all. It's just I need to say it. If you find those topics triggering to you, this might not be the episode. That's totally fine. Go listen to like werewolves or sports or Christmas trees, any of those. Totally fine. Specific timestamps can be found in the show notes, and I will try to remember to say content warning when we're getting to a big subject. So big breath in and out. We're in a calm, happy space. Yeah, that's fun. Jen. What is your experience with poly pairings oh, God. in romance books? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I probably read them way younger than I should have. Same, dude. I will say, like, my mother was pretty permissive about whatever I read. She really yeah. was not, like, a helicopter parent in terms of that. Yeah. But I will say that was one of the books that she was like, Jen, you're too young for this. I'm going to take it from you. Oh, okay, um, okay. That one, and there was some other, like, kind of erotica-themed thing that she was like, it's too much too soon. Yeah. But otherwise, like, Sherilyn Kenyon, Christine Fian, like, all of that was totally fine. 
but yeah like high school like probably middle school high school ish she was like no well, <laughs> too least, much you know, too soon to her knowledge anyway she didn't know what i bought on half.com yeah. um <laughs> amen I, to that and like i have to say because i did get so many books off like half.com which was kind of this ebay yeah offshoot of books and it was one of my first experiences buying books that were not like on amazon and were indie yeah. published before i had things like a kindle or an iphone I didn't have an iPhone until I was like 16. Yeah. But my mother would let me borrow her credit card to buy books off, oh. you know, half.com because it was cheap. I definitely, I was reading some like threesome, foursome things on there just because like Alora's Cave and uh, Siren Publishing kind of had them. Yeah. Whether I should have not is a different question that hopefully we're not going to answer. <laughs> but I have probably read them longer than I should have because it, they've always been kind of a feature in romance, kind yeah. of. Definitely underground for a very long time. Yeah. N- not maybe as I don't featured. Yeah. I, it feels different now the way that it's so. Um, it's presented. It's presented. Yeah. It's, it's more glorified now, yeah. I think, in a good good and bad way. But definitely it's, yeah, you know, poor yeah. little baby Jen maybe should dipped her toes in something she shouldn't have. But. You were in fanfic spaces too. Yeah. Oh, it was big in fanfic. Yeah. I want to say, we'll well, get like, there. sort of. Like, definitely two pairings because usually what happened with fanfic and i say this with all the love in the world a lot of female <laughs> writers wanted to be with both boys yeah so like yeah just pick both boys yeah uh say that snape, with so much love snape and draco and hermione or like harry and draco and hermione yeah i read a lot of hermione ones actually those were really fun all uh, readers blaze, identify with hermione blaze draco and hermione were really popular it was blaze he was uh, blaze sabini he was like this. They just w- one thing I love about fan fiction, they find like the most random minor characters and just blow them up to be bigger than they actually are. He was just this random Slytherin that oh. uh, fandom kind of latched onto as Draco Malfoy's best friend. Oh, I kind of mm-hmm. remember him now. Vaguely. It's been so long since yeah. I read all the books. Mm-hmm. That's funny. And there were a couple too. Like maybe we'll get into this with the exploitive thing, but there was like Lucius Malfoy and Draco yeah. Malfoy and Hermione. Oh my gosh! If yeah. we're gonna go with the the Harry Potter fandom, there's it's a feature in every single yeah. fandom you look yeah. at for the most part. The river, the reverse harem idea is newer, but like there's always been multiple pairings. Yeah. So same thing. I definitely remember reading some in high school, and I definitely shouldn't have been. Like Borders, for some reason, had a lot of good like Alora's Cave yeah. books and uh, Spice that Spice mm-hmm. it wasn't Harlequin Spice I don't know Flame I don't know I had like a I flame insignia flame. on it okay um but yeah I definitely read some stuff in there and we'll talk about that in a mm-hmm. bit but right now I don't necessarily seek them out but I do like them when I do come across them yeah I mean I'm a mood reader so that's just like my whole life right there um I think Katie Robert has become to no one's surprise my favorite representative of poly romances especially with Wicked Villains and Dark Olympus um as a little braggy moment I was just approved for an advanced copy of Cruel Seduction which is book five and that features Aphrodite, Hephaestus, Pandora, and Adonis I can't wait to read it I think it's gonna be so good But while this book wasn't my driving force into talking about the topic, I think it could serve as a great intro for anyone who's curious about poly pairings in Romancelandia. I'll let you know if it's worth it once I read it, but I personally trust Katie Robert to write about those hetero plus romances like I trust no other. But let's go ahead. Let's really dive into the meat of it. I wanted to lead this discussion because it lets me talk about my two favorite things or two of my favorite things, anthropology and cults, of course. Just kidding, kind of. (laughs) Only kind of. Um, I have an anthropology background from before I fell down the librarian rabbit hole, and part of that looked at management of resources in cultural settings, so CRM. Um, In this example, polyandry and more largely polygamy in historical and contemporary settings. 
And with a recent boom in poly pairings and specifically what is commonly referred to as reverse harem or RH in Romancelandia, I think that this is a natural course of discussion for us to have. And I do have to give original credit for this topic idea to Jen, who mentioned this like a couple months ago. So Jen, thank you. No problem. Happy to hand you the reins. (laughs) In addition, I have been doing a lot of research into cultic thinking lately. So there's some obvious pairings between this discussion and cults and like the larger poly side as well so i'm gonna briefly mention that eventually i have a question so the reason i wanted to do this episode also or like the poly idea was because i was remembering when rwa got back to nar roberts about not letting the lesbians take over oh they were all the other big part of that was that they also wanted to dig uh, to find it as one man one woman mm, so like yeah totally edge anti out yeah any kind of pauline pairings yeah cool That is an excellent note because, yes, we're going to get into some definitions right now Um, because romance, remember, the strict definition of romance is that it has to have a romantic relationship of some sort between the characters that Mm -hmm. features front and center, and it has to end in a happily ever after HEA or happily ever after for now. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two criteria of romance doesn't have to be one man, one woman, despite what the RWA was trying to say right there and then. God, they had so many problems. (laughs) And it doesn't have to just be two people. It can be polyamory. Mm -hmm. Uh, So first up, the first definition, polyamory means the state or practice of having more than one open romantic relationship at a time. Polyandry is the state or practice of having more than one husband or male mate at a time and will be the majority of what this episode is talking about. Polygony, meanwhile, and that's poly g-y-n-y polygony is the state or practice of having more than one wife or female mate at a time polygamy which is what i think most people refer to when they're referring to it even if they mean polygamy but anyways polygamy is plural marriage in which a spouse may have more than one mate at the same time monogamy is having one sexual partner or only being married only to one person at a time which is opposed to consensual non-monogamy, or CNM. And this is an umbrella term for relationships in which all partners give explicit consent to engage in romantic, intimate, or and or sexual relationships with multiple people. These are, again, consensual relationships, not to be confused with infidelity. Bigamy, meanwhile, is the act of entering into a marriage with one person while still legally married to another. And finally, I'm going to go down a little uh, etymology rabbit hole for you here because I know you love those polycule this was a new term to me that i came across in research for this a polycule refers to all the people in a network of non-monogamous relationships so in the book cruel seduction for instance the group of aphrodite hephaestus pandora and adonis all together are a polycule and even more fun polycule is not officially a word according to merriam webster or etymology online Um, it's become uh, it's more recently come into the contemporary lexicon that we use and that poly people will use. Broken up into its etymological bits, poly, of course, refers, refers to multiple, and cule, C-U-L-E, is a word-forming element used to make diminutives. So, for instance, in molecule, a molecule is a diminutive form of a mole, which means a larger or massive structure. So polycule is a breakdown of the bigger piece of the polygroup into little pieces. And this is my comeback for man wolf where man werewolf thing from the last episode that we did when I tried to etymology werewolf. But anyways, (laughs) 
There are a few more terms we may specifically hear in reference to Romancelandia when it comes to poly pairings, such as harem, um, which is a collection of women who are paired with one single man, generally. The harem itself technically refers to a secluded house or building where the group of women live, but it can also refer to the women, concubines, female relatives, and servants who occupy the harem building as well. It is most commonly observed in Eastern and Middle Eastern cultural practices historically, and even though polygamy and polygyny has been outlawed in Turkey and China, the two greatest harem nations, this is still a flourishing practice in the Middle East and Africa, mostly within Muslim households. In romance books, it has come to mostly refer to a book subgenre that was popular in the late 80s and 90s that is known as the Sheikh genre, that's S-H-E-I-K, and which I will be discussing eventually as part of the Lost Genre series. In Romance Landia, the harem became the setting for a romance that usually featured a white heroine who was kidnapped or somehow brought into a Middle Eastern household where she fell in love with a sheikh who kept the harem. And as you can guess, it was exceedingly problematic, and we have mostly, thankfully, left that in the past. Now, reverse harem is what I'm going to be centering today's conversation around. Strictly speaking, it refers to exactly what it sounds like, the opposite of the traditional harem. Instead of one man, multiple women, it is one woman, multiple men. And yes, it does exist in the real world, though anthropologically speaking, it is referred to as polyandry. Why choose is our final term of the day. Oh, at least for now, we have more terms later. This is, again, exactly what it sounds like and has become a tenet of the reverse harem genre. Unlike where the genre evolved from, which we'll get into, the heroine in these situations is not forced to choose only one partner in the end. Instead, her happily ever after is with multiple partners and they all ride off into the sunset together in one beautiful, consensual polycule. Thank you. So let's talk about polyandry in the larger anthropological setting before we move on to the subgenre, because as I said, yes, polyandry has been observed culturally and historically around the world. It is important to distinguish between polyandry and polygyny because there tends to be a lot of misunderstanding going on in that whole area. Polygyny, polygamy, polyandry, as well as bigamy are all illegal in the United States, despite what some religions and cults would claim based upon the belief in freedom of religion. In fact, they have been illegal practices since 1787 when the Constitution's uh, framers accepted the outstanding English law banning polygamy into the ratified Constitution, thereby surpassing the First Amendment with a pre-existing understanding of the law. It's all mishmash, paddywash, give a dog a bone. Um, Polygamy and bigamy are multiple person marriages, where one person is married to at least two other people at the same time. The most infamous incidence of this in the U.S. is, of course, the unsanctioned practices of certain sects of the Mormon or LDS faith. That's the Church of Latter-day Saints. Polygyny, where one man is in a partnership with multiple women, and the subsequent polygamy that can occur, where he is married to multiple women, has been widely observed throughout history, whether for religious purposes, like with the Mormons, or for wider cultural reasons, such as in contemporary parts of sub-Saharan Africa. Polyandry, meanwhile, is classically viewed as exceedingly rare. Historically, it was observed most commonly in India and parts of the Himalayas. Real-life polyandry was a way to easily divide up resources and keep competition amongst communities to a minimum. If we use the medieval European paradigm as an example for anti-polyandry, to put it simply, medieval Europe featured a feudal system where land and inheritance were divided up amongst male heirs, and inheritance based on the firstborn son of one marriage received the bulk share of land and properties. Most often as a result, fiefdoms were split up over and over and over again by sons and fathers trying to assure inheritance. Infighting happened regularly, quite frequently led to war, poverty, and severe loss of life, not to mention the severe tax on resources and commodities. Case in point, the Wars of the Roses. 
With polyandry, however, this competition over land, resources, and inheritance was naturally cut off at the knees. Fraternal polyandry, where a group of brothers uh, share a wife, is believed to be the most commonly practiced. Non-fraternal polyandry, where a group of unrelated men share a wife, is technically it's viewed as virtually non-existent because of its inherent instability, but we'll get to that in two seconds. Um, if we go back to the fact that humans are at our base genetic code animals, then we can kind of look at it like a lion killing all the cubs in a pack that aren't his own. He wants to spread his own genetic code, not raise somebody else's. Or honestly, just look at medieval Europe again, and you'll understand. In addition, polyandry acts as a natural form of birth control. If one man were to marry seven women, then theoretically he could have seven children within a year. That's a population growth of 700% in one year alone. In five years, assuming he continues to have one child a year with each woman and none of them die, that's 35 children and a growth rate of 3,500%, 3,500% in five years. It's crazy, honestly. That doesn't take into account twins or other multiple births or illegitimate children with other partners. However, with polyandry, that is physically impossible. Um, if one woman were to marry seven men, that's one child a year, not counting for multiple births. In five years, if she continues to have children, that's five births, which is a 500% growth rate, which is less than the growth rate of that one year with one man, multiple women. Where land and resources are at a premium, polyandry is a natural way to cut down on fighting, warring, and competition for any natural or human resources. Polyandry is currently believed to have been most commonly practiced amongst Hindu and Buddhist communities of the Himalayas, Tibet, and China. However, Jen, if you may allow me to go off on a tangent, I have never gone off before. I don't think I can stop you if I want to. <laughs> you can't. Ha ha ha, I have the power. <laughs> um, anthropology. These eastern pockets of polyandry are spoken about the most because they are easily observable and documented by early anthropologists, explorers, and archaeologists. However, recent study has shown polyandry to be much more widespread historically and prehistorically than thought of. For instance, it has been shown amongst Inuit communities that a first husband would arrange a second husband to protect the wife while the first husband was away hunting or fighting. The Bari people of Venezuela can have two living men as fathers taking care of an individual child in what is known as partable paternity or sometimes colloquially referred to as informal polyandry. What's further interesting is the misogyny that is rampant in classic anthropological beliefs. I don't think anybody is really surprised by that. Um, when it comes to either of these systems, you see... Anthropologists noted that in 1957, George Murdoch defined polyandry in a seminal anthropological text as, quote, unions of one woman with two or more husbands where these types of unions are culturally favored and involve residential as well as sexual cohabitation. It is that culturally favored part that has since shot anthropology in the foot because, according to male scholars running things at the time, why would two men want to share one woman? The only time that could have been favorable would be when resources were stressed and at a premium, like those lions killing cubs. However, we, enlightened 21st century armchair scholars and podcasters, recognize that not only is the sexual jealousy not always true, sometimes it is inherently wrong. People can experience love and sexual attraction from multiple others at the same time, regardless of gender and sex. As long as it's consensual, then hey, the more the merrier, right, Jen? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> consensual, that's, that's yeah, the important that's the part. <laughs> 
So now, with newer, younger, more diverse scholars taking over the field of anthropology, these classic beliefs are being challenged and new paradigms written. We're able to start to recognize further polyandrous societies than just those that have always been written and talked about. And, more largely, we're able to better examine sexual and historical identities outside of the white, cisgendered, heterosexual Christian paradigm that has plagued the scholarly community for hundreds of years and begin to better expand our understanding of marriage, love, and sexual practices around the world. Now... I do want to briefly discuss the perception of poly romances. Um, there is a tendency for the general populace, I feel, or at least in my experience, to look down on poly romances and poly relationships. Honestly, really to look down on anything that is not perceived as heteronormative in our society, and I'm, I'm not going too deeply into that. There is not enough time in the world to delve into that. But I do want to say that this perception can stem from a place of honesty, and that is lack of consent. Poly pairings are amazing. So long as consensual, legal, non-monogamy amongst all parties. Content warning for the next few minutes here, by the way. Part of the reason why polyamory in the United States is so looked down upon is because of the sexual exploitation and injury that occurs when it's left unchecked. Rape, marriage below the legal age limit, predatory intent and assault, and child endangerment have all been observed in poly communities where consent is lacking. I don't want to throw scare tactics or false facts or numbers or anything like that at you. So if you're interested in learning more about polycules gone wrong, there are so many good resources. My favorite podcast to talk about these issues is Trust Me, which is a podcast run by two cult survivors. There's a really good documentary on Netflix called Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. And the Canadian government has a interesting report on the harms of polygyny. That's that's the title, Harms of Polygyny, which I have attached for you in the show notes. And again, just a reminder that as long as everyone as long as everyone in a polycule is consenting of being in a polycule and is of legal age and no illegal activities are taking place, polyamory can be a freeing and oftentimes a good thing. We're out of the content warning here, by the way. Um, Jen, did you know that we had our very own polyamorous community here in upstate New York? Like right now or historically? In the 19th century. Oh, okay. Historically. Have you ever heard of Oneida Silverware? That sounds fun. I want silverware. Did you know that the company was founded by a utopian free love community in the 19th century? Well, I, I didn't, clearly. <laughs> I know, I kind of led you into that one. But anyways, the Oneida community, which is right down the road from where I actually live, uh, was founded by John Humphrey Noyes in 1848. I know, Humphrey <laughs> and Noyes. That last name gets to me. I don't know why. It's funny. Uh, founded it in 1848 in Oneida, New York. The community believed that Jesus had already returned in 70 CE, making it possible for them to bring about Jesus's millennial kingdom themselves and be free of sin and perfect in this world, not just in heaven. This was a belief called perfectionism. The Oneida community practiced communalism in the sense of communal property and possessions. They practiced complex, complex marriage, male continence, uh, mutual criticism, and ascending fellowship. This system of polygamy or complex marriage married each woman with each man in the compound and stipulated that community members should think of each other as siblings. Kind of problematic, but hey. Um, anybody could have sex with anybody else at any given time. And male continence, for those who are interested and I'm way too immature to talk about this, is also referred to as coitus reservatus or intercourse without ejaculation. So, hey, uh, children were cared for collectively by all adults, and they all lived together in the communal children's house. The community did not last past John's death, as his son Theodore was not the best choice of leader for a religious community. And in 1879, facing pressure from outside clergy, Theodore fled the community. Members abandoned the idea of complex marriage, and the community broke apart. 
remaining members reorganized as a joint stock company called the Oneida Community Limited and started producing silver-plated flatware in 1899. We can talk for days on end about the 19th century feminist movement and the 20th century hippie and free love days and how polyamory and polyandry were freeing parts of the society, how culturally polyandry has benefited resource management, how children and poly pairings can benefit from having multiple loving parents who can offer not only more quality time, but a greater, greater range of interests and energy levels to match the child's own growing personality. However, unfortunately, it takes one bad apple to ruin the batch. And those statistics of sexual exploitation, abuse, and illegal relationships in marriage can ruin the viewpoint people have of polyamory and polycules forever. Just like with everything else, it takes one time and it pretty much goes wrong. The United Community sounded great, right? What if I mentioned, trigger warning, that they also practiced ascending fellowship where women over the age of 40 were to act as sexual, quote, mentors and religious role models to adolescent boys. Mm. And older men often quote, introduced young women to sex. That sounds a lot like the family yeah. from the, the 60s. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. I think they also practice ascending fellowship. So, yeah. And yes, we need to acknowledge the abuse and harm done by such communities and persecute those abusers to the full extent we can. But we cannot continue to persecute and judge everyone who practices consensual non-monogamy with consenting legal adults. I think that, like any non-traditional lifestyle, poly pairings are often treated as other, abnormal, exotic, or even through a pornographic lens, when in reality, polycules are just everyday, normal people like you and me going about their lives with loving the who they love. And as Jen as I always say, if it's not harming anyone, then go for it with legal adults. Yeah. No, with legal adults. <laughs> <laughs> So with that perspective attached, let's move forward and start talking about poly romance books. I wanted to throw that disclaimer out there about poly pairings and how they tend to be almost like fetishized in the media because of their nature. Because I think a lot of people who haven't read a good majority of poly books think that by nature they're going to be erotica. That it's just going to be a bunch of men dicking down with one woman who's perpetually caught in the throes of an orgasm. Or that it's going to be a woman kidnapped and forced through dubious consent into all these unnatural railroading positions when... In reality, reverse harems came from young adult fiction. Oh my god, I cannot believe I Jackie made me read a book. I did. And as I was it reading was so this, painful. I'm like, Jackie better have a good reason to make me read this book. I did. And we'll get there. But first And now a break from our sponsors. Just kidding. We only have Nopal as a sponsor because the library is awesome. We just want to take a break to talk about the books we are currently reading that aren't necessarily romance. I know. Shocking. We read things other than romance. Jen, what are you reading right now? Yeah, so aside from that terrible YA book, which I made sure to read last night, so it was nice and fresh in my head to complain about today. You're welcome. I also made sure to read the new Dave Pikey Cat Kid Comic Club. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> I know. I like have to make sure I, I said can't it right. Say it one time. <laughs> Collaborations is oh the newest gosh. one. It's number four in the series. I just tell you guys, I am an adult. Usually, sort of, kind of. <laughs> I mean, like in the legal sense, I am an adult. But I have loved Dave Pikey and Captain Underpants and Dogman for like decades. Like even before I got this job, I was doing Captain Underpants programs at my last one. Can like, confirm. I am absolutely obsessed with him. I think he's the best. I think he makes such great children's books. And most recently with the Dogman series. They're just brilliant. He keeps kind of wrapping in 
these great takes on classic uh, English yeah. literature into something like a kid Lord format the that fleas. they could understand for whom the ball rolls. Yes. Uh, Kids crime and punishment it's so good i yeah. love it too i can't keep them on the pop-up whenever i take them out i have to buy like two copies of the series every year and i enjoy them too so i don't want to get too deep into all of the mythology behind <laughs> dave pikey because i would love you to discover it for yourself but in cat kid comic club it is basically cat kid running a comic book club and how to create with uh, about 40 guppies and a flying metal-armed fish who is their father. It, it doesn't make any sense unless you read the books, and I'm not going to get into it because I want you to discover the beauty for yourself of how yes, that came about. You definitely but should. But Cat Kid Comic Club especially, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal, but it's a really inspirational, beautiful look at creativity and encouraging children to kind of try out all these different kinds of art forms. So it's not just like physically drawing the comic books that cat kid takes you through there's a lot of guppies that will make things like photography they'll do photo uh, the sorry they'll do uh poetry they will do haikus they will put there's this one group that puts like stop motion together with busted up action toys it's just so creative the mm. way this guy's mind works and it's very inspirational there's just th there's like secret lessons in there so it doesn't sound it doesn't feel like it's like being shoved down your throat but it's like it's surprisingly progressive and I'm kind of happy that people don't really know about it because you, you just get so fixated on, oh, it's the potty humor. Oh, we got to we have to ban Dave Pikey because it's like anti respect for adults, whatever. whatever. So they, they miss like the subtext of yeah. like, hey, we got to be nice to women. We have to respect everybody. We have to um, like try new things and be not afraid to fail. It's just I love Cat Kid so much. I, I love tell. this comic club. I could talk about it all day, but it is not a Cat Kid comic club podcast <laughs> and if you guys even have half an hour they are quick books like yeah. i did not spend hours reading this last night i kind of got through it quick to enjoy it and she needed you know, a palate talk cleanser about it. yeah honestly i did <laughs> i was like i could not go to sleep thinking about that stupid book so instead cat kid comic club uh, is coming from you as an adult to hopefully more adults uh definitely check it out because nice. it's, it's just oh, so Nice. I love Dave Pikey. He's a genius. Nice. Yes, he is. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, I am thoroughly in my fantasy mood read season. And my favorite author of all time is James Rollins. I know it's a man. I'm sorry. He is my favorite author and he is my auto buy author. I even go out and buy the hardcovers. Like every single mm -hmm. book, I buy the hardcover the day they come out. I love him so much. Um, his Sigma Force series, which was really the book series that honestly got me into reading as a teenager is kind of like Jason Bourne meets Indiana Jones, which is really fun. But last year he started coming out with an adult sci-fi fantasy post-apocalyptic series called the Moonfall series. The book, the first book is the Starless Crown, which it's just this huge genre blending world building look at fantasy and what happens in the future and like disability and all this really amazing stuff and it's just so well written and James Rollins is a vet in real life and so he includes all of these fantastical creatures and he drew it like there's figures in the book drawings of these fantastical creatures that he drew himself and they're really cool to look at and see book two is the cradle of ice and it comes out these I think it's like February 7th. It's like the first Tuesday in February that it comes out. And I am so excited to read it. So I'm rereading the first one right now. Ready for the second one. I just love James Rollins. He's my favorite. So yeah, that's what we're reading now. Back to the show. Content warning going forward. 
I will be using the term harem repeatedly, which I know can be a triggering word and many readers have discussed it as harmful. Please accept my apologies if you find it so. We're going to have a discussion at the end of the episode into why this term is harmful to romance and what we might want to use instead. As I said at the top of the show, kind of, we're going to be focusing on reverse harems and polyandry today because harems and polygamy and romance landia are their own beast and we'll be covering that eventually with lost genres. And as I've already exposed the lead here. Yes, reverse harems originated from Japanese-style manga, anime, and games. The subgenre didn't appear in Western literature genuinely until 2013, and then it was with sweet young adult books, like officially appeared mm. in Western literature. And please forgive my Japanese pronunciation for everything coming up. I'm still learning, okay? I'm trying to learn Japanese, but it's kind of hard. The roots of reverse harem lie with Japanese otome games and anime. In fact, the very term itself, reverse harem, is a direct translation of the Japanese category gyako harimu. Gyako is a prefix meaning reverse or opposite, and harimu is exactly what it sounds like, harem. Gyako harimu has been around for over 30 years and started with titles such as Soradeimo Chikyo wa Mawatoru, that one always gets me, I'm sorry, which came out in 1984, Fosuma Land 4.5, also in 1984, and Akogare Bukensha from 1985. But unlike with modern reverse harem, Gyako Harimu ends not with a wide choose, but the protagonist will either always end up with one of the men or none of them. Directly related to this also was the rise of otome games. Otome is a subgenre of game that was specifically marketed towards female gamers. It is a story-based video game where the player, in addition to solving a problem or completing a goal, must develop a romantic relationship between the female player, main character, and one of the secondary lead male characters. Early games borrowed heavily from the conventions of retro shujo manga, with the archetypical girly heroines, the emphasis on pure, sexless, tranquil romance, and on a peaceful, stable setting. Please note, the genre convention that while this was a romance, there was little to no genre, drama, and there was no sex. Today, it would probably be con- considered part of the cozy game genre, but as the genre and popularity popularity expanded other narrative and gameplay elements were introduced such as action adventure combat and plots in which the heroine could quote save the world and get the guy at the same time and that sounds like such 2010s ya (laughs) shujo manga itself is fascinating and can be seen as both the direct influence on the style and goes goals of otome and gyako harimo without going too far down the rabbit hole shoujo manga literally means girls comics and is an editorial category of japanese comics targeting an audience of adolescent females and young adult women the earliest shoujo manga was published in general magazines in the early 20th century and entered a period of creative development beginning in the 1950s as it started to become its own distinct category of manga Shoujo itself refers to a specific social category of girlhood, such as we would use the term kawaii today. Kiki from Kiki's Delivery Service can be seen to embody shoujo and in fact spawned her own genre, Mahu Shoujo, Mahu Shoujo, which is magical girl, just to put it in context for you. Okay, so let's zoom back out to the big picture. If you went to high school in the mid to late 2010s, you are probably aware that we had a big boom in the popularity of manga, Japanese culture, and anime during this time period. Personally, I blame Hello Kitty, Pokemon, and Studio Ghibli. And by blame, I mean love, because I'm a Ghibli girl, through and through. Love it. Of course, we must pay homage to other popular animes for our generation, like Attack on Titan, Sailor Moon, Naruto, and Dragon Ball Z. You know what I blame it on? Hmm. Adult Swim. Yeah. Because, like, if you stayed up late enough to watch Adult Swim, they had all that anime, yeah. and that's how I got Attack into on my, Titan. like... Yeah, I had my anime manga period for a minute, just yeah. because of Adult Swim. Otherwise, I wouldn't have access to this stuff otherwise. Mm-hmm. 
And it's only natural with the westernization of these manga and anime that authors could be coming from these spaces, could also be coming from possibly fandom spaces of these anime and manga, um, and would recognize the popularity of genres like shoujo, otome, and gyakorimo, and bring that into fiction. The natural crossover? Young adult romance. Gyako Harimo and Otome are specifically marketed, as I said, towards young preteen and adolescent girls. And despite the fact that their popularity would grow to encompass the late teens and early 20s crowd, these subgenres remain representative of that younger female crowd. Statistically speaking, some of the biggest readers are young preteen and adolescent girls, not just here in the U.S., but worldwide. In 2009, to prove my point, a global study of the academic performance of 15-year-olds found that in all but one of the 65 participating countries, more girls than boys said they read for pleasure. A lot of this has to do, of course, with the perception of cool and the fact that adolescent boys typically face more peer pressure to conform to masculine activities, such as sports or academic prowess. While for girls, typically feminine activities are what is perceived as a feminine activity such as reading is seen as popular and smart i've linked a really good atlantic article in the show notes for you um, on the study and observation into gendered reading statistics very interesting give it a read Regardless, Gyako Harimo made its way over to western literature in the form of young adult fiction specifically those pandered towards the female gaze and specifically in the year 2012 now as always we shouldn't find this timing surprising, but for some reason I did. If we contextualize a little, little bit more, there was a big boom of young adult romance in the late 2000s thanks to books like Twilight and the dramatic romance plotlines with heroines who could, again, save the world and get the guy, really saw a resurgence, especially as Paranormal grew increasingly popular. The stage was also set for the RH of IA, YA to make an appearance because how many Twilight fanfics again featured Bella with both Edward and Jacob? How many Harry Potter fanfics, like we said earlier, had Hermione with Harry, Ron, Draco, and even Snape? All at the same time. It was a bunch. There was a lot. Yeah, I can say that. There yeah. was a bunch. It was only natural that Giacomo Rimo stepped onto the scene with what everyone unanimous, unanimously agrees was the very first C.L. Stone's Ghostbird series. Specifically, the first book, Introductions, was published <sighs> in 2012. Can I, can I admit something to you? Yes. Okay, so I... I try not to be negative too much okay. on this podcast. We love it. I really did not like this book. Yeah, neither did I. I will say, though, I really want to know what happens next. <laughs> like, I hate... It's it's like a weird kind of hate read that I'm still really interested to know what happens, like, with this academy and what's mm. going on. And I looked... I even looked at the price, and it's... I'm not spending $5 per book for this dumb thing when there's, like, 20 volumes. Yeah. But there is something very, like... Gripping. Addicting or like yeah. you want to? I don't know. I want to like the, the girl's an idiot. Like it's she's very much. It's very twenty twelve. It's, like, it's dripping with that whole vibe of I'm not like other girls. <sighs> aside from them literally saying, "Wow, you're not like other girls." Oh, not a pick me, and not just that, but like the clumsiness and the the abuse Sorry. from like uh, just it's, it's too fragile to live. I just it's a lot, but I still really want to know what the stupid academy thing is, <laughs> and I still. Okay, so she's got to end up with all of them, right? Or oh, come on, then what's the point? Nope, we'll get there. <laughs> now because... I'm not. Now I don't care. I'm gonna read the spoilers and not care anymore. Cause yeah, I still want to find out what happened to the stupid academy. Yeah. So Seal Stone fully owns being the first to publish a book of this kind and points out some of the key factors when it came to this first blush of RH. Like in the Japanese style, the options for romantic interests or friendships oh are endless. I couldn't believe they kept coming. I know. There were I so many. Like, okay, cool. Like the first chapter, there's three of them. And I'm like, like okay, okay so that's it'll enough. be like three. Cool. And there's another like, one. She's got like seven. And another she's one. She's got like seven or eight male and friends that are like, how? And just like, 
they are too nice. Yes. I'm sorry. They just are. I've never like washed and dried and brushed one of my friend's hair before. Yeah. No, that's too much work. I love you guys, but no, <laughs> that's too, too much. Work. That's no, that's too much time. <laughs> too much bonding. I don't go out and buy a cell phone for my friends. No. Like, oh my God. I just... don't like make sure that I like one of my friends has somebody with them at all times unless it's like a dangerous place like but like school shouldn't be a dangerous place also by the way i was a little annoyed that they acted like this big public school was so dangerous because i went to a big public school and it was fine we only had like two riots okay we didn't have endless violence in the halls and it all got solved once they put cameras in the hall so it was fine did your school have metal detectors no okay no 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 they weren't that crazy okay but we did like like every year we did have like one big thing so like one year we had somebody who set fires in the bathroom for like three days before they stopped we had like a big riot in the the kitchen in the the cafeteria because like i don't even know what happened the rumor was that they had a fight over what state was better new jersey or new york but nobody could ever <laughs> clarify that yeah well duh <laughs> and um i can't remember what the last one was but it, it was like the police came in that one was fun and like, oh my I got, god we had a lockdown for a while so it was fine i came out of it fine that was my point. It was, oh, it's this big, scary 2,000-person like, school. And I'm like, I went to one of those. We were fine. <laughs> there wasn't violence in the – oh, you know what? Once, too, we had um, we had fireworks go off in the hallway once. And thank God it was kind of in that, that period before we were kind of worried about school shootings again. Our big thing was, like, bombs. Yeah. So, it, like, my first thought was not, oh, it's just – like it wasn't like gunfire it was like Bomb. fireworks and yeah and like yeah. my friend grabbed me and pulled me away so see i am not even like the male person in my friendship group that's my other friend you are the heroine i was the heroine who's like oh what's that weird sound oh that's so cool and then she's like <laughs> grabbing my wrist and like tugging me away well there's a deep look into jen's past yeah i didn't mean for that to be so long but that for me was just like an annoying aspect of this book where it was like it's fine and i also went to school in a trailer a couple times fine again okay for her to like look at this big configuration of trailers all around the school it was fine yeah smelled weird but it was fine yeah who cares it's just a trailer and actually it was kind of cool to go like in because you were inside and outside because it had like the little cover over the hallways and like yeah because it was still surrounded like it's pennsylvania it's snows yeah you know if you're gonna have us go back and forth it can't be wet yeah Yeah. very true so it was cool actually it's fine Jeez, okay. this book. I still want to know what happens, though. I'm so mad. Anyways. Also, like in the Japanese style, the men in reverse harem or early reverse harem don't necessarily have to be friends or even friendly to each other. But I did like that they were friends in yes. this book. It was cute. Yeah. That's why at first I was like, oh, this must be some kind of gang or some kind of mob, and that's their big secret. But now they've got this whole academy thing. So it must be like spies, right? Yeah. Like um, training them to be spies or like secret agents one day, like to go in like like a Black Widow program for men. This is contemporary, sadly not paranormal or action or. So like, what's the academy? Did you read the spoilers? Just tell me. No, I didn't read the spoilers. Why did you make me read this book? Sorry. <sighs> Anyways, please note that there is no sex, <laughs> or maybe there is some like light hand holding. One of the books might end in a kiss, but this plays directly back to the origins in Otome and Gyako Harimo, and the emphasis on pure, sexless, tranquil romance and the peaceful, stable setting. I don't know but, how this is peaceful if yes. like the girl's mom is making her drink vinegar and lemon. Because with YA fiction, that peaceful, stable setting oh, right, fine, gets fine, subverted. Fine, fine, yeah, YA is crazy. Because hashtag drama. Um, but it's still a sweet romance. Yeah, they were cute. The final like, key components of these early reverse harems, much to Jen's chagrin, is that the heroine only ends up with one love interest Boo! at the end of the story. Boo! Stop! 
stupid. I thought she was going to have seven boyfriends. Why choose doesn't come in until the mid to late 2010s. <sighs> Gross. Yeah, I know. Now, with all that being said, I'm going to go back to mine and Jen's regular point that we've always said. We lost a lot of Indian small pub books to this time period. And so while I know that publishers like Sirens, Allura's Cave, and others were pushing out books from this time frame that featured spicy reverse harems, they haven't seen the longevity as their contemporary counterparts. Like, I know I read this book that featured this classic polyandry and, like, kind of problematic setting where an anthropologist went to the Himalayas to find this lost city. Maybe it was called Lost City. I don't know. I couldn't find it anywhere that I searched for it. And she got into this fraternal polyandry situation where she had to marry all these brothers to, like, save the tribe, basically. Mm -hmm. I cannot find it anywhere. But I know I read it in high school because I got it from Borders. Mm -hmm. So... If anybody knows what book I'm talking about, please let me know. But the subgenre also wasn't fully defined during this point in time. So while I distinctly remember reading a menage cowboy book called Rough, Raw, and Ready by Lorelai James, featured one man and or one woman and two men, I wouldn't call this a reverse harem. And I think this is the point where Jen and I need to ask, what counts as a reverse harem? Because menage, triads, threesomes, however you want to refer to it, partnership of three people, is this a reverse harem? Or is it a triad? Like I feel like you have to have more than two men to consider reverse harem. See, if we look at poly, like if we look at the anthropological definition, we're not though. We're looking at romance, <laughs> and in romance, like what kind of harem is that if you only have two? That's, you're like a Still lame a harem one. It's like lame. Okay, <laughs> like all the other harem people are gonna make fun of you if you're like, oh, here's my two guys, um, and they've got their seven. It's room for more. You then grow, then get the more. Go get the other five, or the other six, or the other seven. Uh, I I've been thinking about this a lot since we talked. To, okay, we're we're doing we're doing this yeah. topic. Like, what is reverse harem? Because I feel like I never really heard the term reverse harem until very recently. Yeah. But like we've said, clearly multiple pairings have been around for a very very long time. So to me, I feel like the key aspect is that it's like multiple more. men that you can't summon up in a cute little French phase that I can't like you can't be like oh there's a menage a trois <laughs> menage a trois I said that I was pretty close that close. was pretty you close just and I thought forget the s on or the even end. like even like three men is like not tame exactly but it's like <laughs> not what I would consider to be a reverse harem I would think like yeah five six seven where it's not as easily said oh here's my five some see i just love that we read these and then in real life we're like please one man i can't handle it i don't even just want get one no away. just like i want my money and i want my closet <laughs> and the dog yeah i want my dog that's it yeah see i think that triads can be counted as part of a reverse harem <sighs> but i think it. it gets a little fuzzy it's kind of like an umbrella like reverse harem is the umbrella and then it shoots off underneath into like all these different and i feel like reverse harem too Maybe that's just because I, I have to say I don't have a lot of experience with like the like the seven men. Right. <laughs> I think like going through my Goodreads, I feel like I've only read like a couple like four, three, fours, like, like barely any yeah. compared to the others. I feel like there's sometimes kind of like they feel a little meaner because mm. I think sometimes they they've grown out of some of like the bully romances mm. or they've grown out of like these contemporary yeah. things or like when we read that one that was like Den of Vipers yeah I'm gonna talk that about that mean. in a minute yeah. and I don't know if that's exactly reverse harem because I think there were only three guys were there four there were four there were four yeah so okay that would be a reverse harem but like it was a dark book where they were pretty mean to each other yeah I'm sure there are light and fluffy reverse harems. I mean, I definitely know they exist. The in croissant fanfic. shifter. Yes, the croissant shifter of reverse harems. I just feel like that's maybe a component too, because of where they started. Yeah. So that's why, again, I don't want to lump like I know so many like happy, fluffy, nice threesomes that I don't want to put under reverse harem because it's like, well, they didn't start off as bullies. They, they didn't like. 
I think the term reverse harem too itself, which we're going to talk about in a bit, I mm-hmm. think it, it it like categorizes itself because when you think reverse harem, you think a lot. Like you yeah. think a lot of people involved. Mm-hmm. But if you use the term poly, like polyandry, polyamory, whatever, you're just thinking, okay, a couple people anything, involved. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just um, more than one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, three boyfriends. Yeah. A two. Two, two yeah, boyfriends. Two partners. One and a half. <laughs> Oh, one's my boyfriend and one's my boyfriend's boyfriend. <laughs> oh, we love some sword crossing. Mm. Mm. Anyways, onwards. Let's carry on <laughs> before I get yelled at. Um, we can go to Twitter for more of a timeline into the introduction of reverse harem into Romance Landia, as the first ha- first hashtag for reverse harem supposedly appeared on June sixth, twenty ten. I will say I've not been able to fully corroborate the source because Twitter scares me and the source did not link the original tweet. So if you know better than I, you can email us at RagingRomantics at Nopal.org. Yeah. The other hashtag to know is the appearance of YChoose. According to the source I found, on Twitter, the Why Choose hashtag first appears in 2016. I would dearly love to say that Why Choose has been appearing in fanfic and indie pubs before then, but again, things have been lost to time, and I'm also scared of fanfiction sites. I don't think so, honestly, because I really? like I kind of heard about it, kind of maybe in the back yeah. of my head, or like I saw it as like a hashtag, but I didn't see it as like, oh, I'm gonna go read Why Choose fanfic tonight. Yeah, and even within fanfic, we d- that's I been in the past like couple of years. I've seen. I that. think it's more recent. Yeah, not, I think it's before my time. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're so young. I'm so young. No, I think actually, like, when I think of reading, like, those threesomes, those foursomes, whatever, in fanfic, um, I don't ever remember referring to them as, like, oh, white. Maybe, like, as a yeah. joke. Yeah. Or maybe as, like, oh, because, like, white shoes. Ha, ha, ha. I don't remember it being, like, a tag you search for. Yeah. Because, first of all, there weren't even really tags until archive. Okay. Like, if you if you go way back to fanfic. Yeah, I tried net, to do some other things that I couldn't use You the couldn't tags. do that. Or, like, Media Miner or any of these other little, like, live journal, like, the, like archive is revolutionary because you can use those tags yeah. and because like it says exactly what's in here and you can have like oh hashtag why choose ha 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 usually what i saw before is like they would mesh the names up so like the dry amies mm-hmm. right would be draco hermione mm-hmm. blaze if you wanted that kind of a thing okay okay or, oh yeah yeah or like maybe affectionately you'd be like oh she's the fandom bicycle like affectionately though, I like love not like that. in a mean Can way. Can we bring that term back? So I, I mean, I looked myself at this why choose thing. I, it's not anything I'm super familiar with, so I don't actually think it's that old. Yeah, no. Unless it is just like, yeah, like why choose? Ha ha ha! Like to your uh, friends. Yeah. I don't know if it like I wouldn't put it as like a subgenre thing personally. Uh, the development of why choose is integral to contemporary reverse harem though because that is a stipulation with today's reverse like harem. i like the idea of it i like yeah. that it's kind of like a mindset yeah of like well is, okay why make by the way too that person's name was sang which yeah. is stupid but like why make sang only choose one of her seven friendly boyfriend yeah. people yeah like because i thought she was gonna get all of them so that's annoying yeah i think that why choose is like the early like appearance of first it's the early appearance Mm -hmm. of modern reverse harem like contemporary reverse harem we see today and now we don't really use it because it's just kind of probably i definitely see like if you're if you're like talking to your friends on message boards or like comments or whatever you would be like you know why does like why does hermione have to choose and that was exactly when i was trying to search tags that was exactly what was popping up Mm -hmm. like in all the descriptions why should blank have to choose why should lydia have to choose like there was a lot of teen wolf in there Mm -hmm. to nobody's surprise But that's anyways. interesting. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot with Lydia. I mean, a little bit with Lydia, but Teen Wolf, is. it feels like that's more Slash than anything. Yeah. Like that, the only Slash parent I've ever really, really loved has been Derek and Styles. Ugh. 
love Derek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I haven't seen it the way I have with others. Um. Anyways, um, I think the integration of this trope into Reverse Harem is possibly why it started to really have such a boom in 2017. Um, this was when too they started to really make that cross from sweet YA into the more sexualized, more classically yeah. adult romance sector. That's true. And again, it's important to remember that we've probably lost or left out a lot of independently published books from this discussion simply due to the nature of book cataloging and the lack of sites. Yeah, of, not even yeah. that, but like the series didn't finish because I can yeah. think of one Reverse Harem I was reading. The author just suddenly stopped after like mm. book four interesting mm-hmm. yeah or like book three point. or something like she we never found out what was going to happen to like and also sites that we use today like goodreads and fantastic fiction weren't really around until no. like 2017 mm-hmm. so as as old as they seem now and as clunky as they seem now they were revolutionary well, no, you know i had i feel like i had a goodreads in, two, in 2009 i just didn't frequently use it until i was in library school and like i yeah. need to keep track of my reading yeah and i feel like it just started really booming around the same time period mm-hmm. so Something else happened in 2016 and 2017 that pushed readers to yeah. start tracking books. We'll, have to well, I think just in general, people were living online more. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, bu- 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 bum. Okay. 2017 was a huge year for this boom, and a list of reverse harems published in 2017 showed that 78% of them were published between September and December of that year alone. Mm. There's a bit of a funny note because C.L. Stone, who, as I said earlier, like she owns starting the reverse harem genre in YA, Mm -hmm. she looks down her nose at this boom and she said, quote, there are many books coming out now simply using the word, simply because using the keyword reverse harem can lead to sales whether or not that author is known. Oh, shut up. I'm like, well, yeah, of course they're using it. Is this like an early Omegaverse? Probably. It's like it's mine, nobody else's. Probably. She's like, little bitter. Started it. At least she didn't sue anybody. Listen, CL Stone, we're grateful that you started it. But like, look, this is the same argument as that people have been dragging like forever around other things. Of course, they're going to be writing and using this time because people want to read it and authors Mm -hmm. are going to want to write it. And now they're like, hey, people want to read what I want to write. So I'm going to publish it. And also, this was, like, huge start of indie publishing. Like, and it's fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to read more of it. Yeah. Give me all the reverse harems. Yeah, give me. All of it. At this point, it's necessary to talk about reverse harems and what they look like to us readers today because the original Gyaka Rimu and Sweet YA genre structure is pfft, no more. Yeah, I don't think you could do this no. in YA anymore. Not, <laughs> no. not in a mainstream. No. YA has changed so much, just even, like, in the last five years. Sorry, I was just saying that Hunger Games, Hunger Games does technically fit this uh, structure of early reverse YA. How? Because she had to choose between but Gale not, and Peta. Okay, that was like, but that that wasn't really about the boys. It was really about two kind of mindsets of like, is she going to stay in her anger and her bitterness and go fight in this war? Or is she going to kind of try Bake to Bake bread to live and it? have a family. Yeah, it wasn't really about the boys. It had like a deeper subtext that yeah. got destroyed when yeah. everybody was like, oh, let me jump on the dystopian yeah. love triangle yeah. train. Yeah, so dystopian love triangle, triangle chain came because of Gyaku Rimu and reverse harem. So anyways, today's reverse harem is also completely divested from the harem subgenre that existed in the late millennium. When the harem and shake existed, the focus was on the idea of changing the hero for the better, but it was grounded in shades of colonialism and racism and misogyny. In addition, dubious consent, rape, and other exploitative tropes were used frequently in the harem. Readers today only go for that generally in like dark romances, um, now Reverse Harem can be a diverse bunch of books covering all sorts of plot lines and heroes from paranormal to monster to croissant shifter to cowboy <laughs> and everywhere in between. 
And though readers have come to expect a certain level of heat, in reality, RH can still range from anywhere in the suite through to the extra ghost peppers. I've seen a lot of RH in monsters lately, but that might be confirmation bias because I read a lot of monster. Mm -hmm. I think, too, it's nice with monster because you can make a whole culture mythology about yeah. why these creatures need... Have to be together. Yeah, and share a wife. Like they did with the Lillian Lark. It's yeah. like the gargoyles have to be together yeah. and, you know. Yeah. Or the orcs. Mm -hmm. I've been reading the orc series by Finley Fenn and so there's a whole thing there. It's a lot easier to do that with monster. I yeah. Have to, like when I read threesomes, whatevers, foursomes, yada, yada, in contemporary, it, it was always in these small towns out west where mm. it was an openly accepted practice. Yeah, that's true. Right, that was like a really popular stuff. And that goes back like to trope of it. my thing earlier of like people tend to look down on poly pairings mm -hmm. because it's outside of the heteronormative yeah. contingent, right? So you found a place where you could be open with your yeah. partners. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were obviously ones too where it was like, oh God, I have this extra boyfriend and nobody can know. And it was like a shame thing. Like I read those too. But the ones at least I was drawn to and the ones I saw a lot of was like, nope, here's this town. It was established with two husbands and their wife in the 1800s. And it's yeah. just like a common practice. And this is where you come if you want to be accepted. Yeah. Yep. Those I, are the two I see the most of. I also want to point out that while the overarching trend tends to focus on polyandry, reverse harems don't have to strictly be one female, multiple males. For instance, Katie Roberts' Cruel Seduction features two men and two women. Non-binary and intersex characters are often also featured regularly in reverse harems that I've read. Just don't ask me the titles because I cannot find them. I did not save them anywhere. I'm so sorry. But I know they exist. That being said, there are a lot of similar themes shared across RH. There is generally always a meet-cute of some sort, where at least one or more of the love interest meets the heroine. I mean, this is classic romance, okay? There's always a meet-cute. The entrance into the RH situation is also voluntary and completely consensual. That is an important division between the OG shake romances and modern RH. There is always consent. And even in dark ranges, dark romance, it's always consensual non-monogamy. The actual, like, physical... Mm -hmm. acts might not be always super consensual because it's dark romance and it's like a scary area to go listen to our dark romance episodes um but like them being in multiple partnerships is always consensual yeah. just like with Rimo, the love interests love towards the heroine is generally enough to get them to all agree even if they weren't friends or even were dastardly enemies from before personally i love when there's tension between two of the members like they were enemies from before something along those lines and they end up falling in love as they're falling into bed give me a spoon because i'm gonna eat that up i love it so much anywho the driving force behind the rh in this is this understanding of shared love sometimes they know ahead that they all want the heroine sometimes they end up coming together arbitrarily because of their love there's always an understanding that making the heroine choose will ultimately end up hurting the heroine in the long run because she cares so deeply for all of them they understand and in reality the author understands i'm going to break that fourth wall that making the heroine choose just one love interest would subvert the only necessity of a romance novel happily ever after Making the heroine choose means no HEA guarantee. Sometimes if it's a series, the author will like make the heroine arbitrarily go off with one of the love interests at the end of one of the early books and like an HFN or a cliffhanger situation. But the summation is always the same. One big happy polycule. As for the love interests themselves, they aren't all the same men by any means. Depending on the subgenre, each love interest often will even represent one of the varied character tropes from that subgenre or from romance as a whole. So in a shifter book, say, you'll have three different werewolves making a pack. The cinnamon roll, 
the grumpy and taciturn one, and the ebullient rascally one, all paired with sarcastic heroin. In Den of Vipers, you have a combination of the icy alpha asshole, the charming flirt, the surly one, and the um, crazy one who's into knife play. They may be gods, ghosts, shifters, bodyguards, spies, thieves, princes, soldiers, or just about anything else we've ever seen in romance. Put them all together to create not only a perfect balance, but an awesome family. Because I think, personally, that is one of the main draws of the reverse harem romance. And yes, listener, it's that time, time for the big question. Why do we like it so much? I feel like I need a soundboard. And like, why do we like it so much? Little jazz fingers. No jazz fingers. I, you know, that's a good point that I hadn't heard put into words before. I think it is like found family with sex. Yeah. And I do love a found family so much. With sex. And like, it's great enough to have the one partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. But yeah, if you get like all of you guys together yeah you know it's just it's like a big warm fun comfy hug um like the heroine is front and center and everybody asked they were like yeah i think everybody loves it because the heroine is front and center she's the subject of all this love and affection and attention and Mm -hmm. everybody just like wants her and that's like yeah that's heady Mm -hmm. um and i think that romance books as we always say they feature a lot of self-insertion from the reader and it's like just so awesome to imagine yourself in that situation and no i'm not just talking about the spicy scenes okay even just a scene that's like a big group hug or when the polycules like they're all making dinner and they're laughing yeah. and like so and so's making the salad somebody else is setting the table it's a family right and i think that it just goes to show found family is one of the most enduring and popular tropes in a romance I think, too, I recently just watched the Netflix show How to Build a Sex Room, Ooh. which is excellent, by the way. Just, I haven't watched it's that. It's, like, surprisingly wholesome because it is full of couples that actually like each other. Oh, but one I love of, that. But one of the pairings is, is like, a, a big group of, like, seven people it's like a, who, you know, want to build a space for them to be together. And one thing they say is that they get to be kind of – they get different things of what they need from each other, right? I think – that's like a failing sometimes mm. we have is that we expect our partner to be like everything. 100% everything, your best friend, your confidant, your protector, your provider, your, yeah, like I could go on and on. Like people can't do that. Mm-mm. Like you need different things for different reasons. And I can see that playing out very easily in a poly romance where yeah. it's like the pressure is not on you to be 100% what this person needs. You kind of spread that responsibility out. Yeah. Which is something I always liked too about it. Even just like doing chores, say somebody hates doing dishes, but somebody hates doing laundry, but somebody else hates like taking the trash out. You can all share responsibilities. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I think in that case, like my first thing is like, just get roommates. But like sometimes your roommates suck. Roommates suck. (laughs) There is definitely like, I think you still get kind of like the responsibility of a partnership and like devotion. But it's like, you don't have to be all things to all. Yeah. They're filling the emotional needs at the same time. Yeah. I and I know two people are like oh and people just want to have like are attracted to different things and like they don't always want to have the same thing I'm like for me that's not an important reason but like for some people that is yeah. like variety for like consensual swinging variety. is totally a thing yeah. yeah um that is kind of the end of the light part because <laughs> there's one last discussion point I do want to address the elephant in the room which is the usage of the term harem in reverse harem. This all relates back to the shake genre and its harmful, racist, colonialist attitude. A lot of readers today have expressed how uncomfortable they are with the term reverse harem. Even though by nature it subverts the shake genre, it still harkens back to that original place. A lot of the research too behind polyandry 
is in itself inherently racist, even if we're talking about stuff from the past 10 years. Harem, though it is a specific cultural practice and as such should only be judged by those who participate in that culture, has come into Western eyes to represent and trigger warning, I'm going to be generalizing some racist stereotypes. It has come to represent in Western eyes a dark-skinned Arab man who keeps a bunch of women for his pleasure as sex slaves. And you know what? That's wrong. But that's also a discussion for another day. And again, though reverse harem seeks to subvert the trope and view and even transcend it, we are still using a word that many have noted is harmful and have even said, hey, this word hurts us. Can we stop using it? Yet the genre heading persists. I think A, because of the history and direct translation from Gyaku Harimu, and B, because it's the most simplistic term for readers to understand as it hits the trope like right on the nose, and even C, because it is the way it is. However, even beyond the stereotype, it is harmful because it perpetuates the idea that this sort of book can only be heterosexual. I mean, I guess that's kind of the point, though, because there's probably different names for when the, the, the seven people are all men. They still use reverse harem. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of reverse harem, to be honest, like the term or the concept, because for me, it's always just been like, yeah, it's just like yeah, more people. I don't know. For me, I'm like... Maybe I'm just like an old bat over here and I'm used to my way and how the way it used to be. And it like back in my day, we didn't need reverse harem as a term. For me, it's like a little bit of fluff. Like I get the term if it's like I specifically want a woman with like five men. Yeah. Fine. Cool. That's not how I'm probably going to be searching for things. Yeah. When I want something to read. I'm surprised though they do apply it to men, to like to male parents. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Because... So are you talking about when it's all, only men? Yeah, if it's like M M M M M M M M. Okay. Yeah. I don't know because I've never seen that. Okay. I know it exists, yeah. but I've never seen. I just assume they have their own name, or it is just like in the description. It's like M M M M, or yeah. all parents, or like whatever. You're going in like the the queer section of the bookstore, like yeah, you know. But even when like it's beyond like just female hetero pairings they still use reverse harem and i still think that that is maybe not the best term we mm-hmm. could be used i get that you know if you're on the internet you're like joking with your friends it's like it's probably cute online not necessarily for like a wider audience if you're just trying to be all like look at me i'm having reverse harem with my friends <laughs> you know if you're not really thinking about it if you're just talking with your friends yeah like probably not the best for like a wider heading i really think that we need to start using and again i'm just a little old me librarian here in upstate new york you know just being like we need to use other things but i think that we need to start recognizing that people are saying that these terms are harmful and we need to start kind of changing the language that we use and kind of coming up with a more modern way of referring to polycules in books um because reverse harem again does perpetuate that idea mostly that it's you know one woman multiple men when in reality as jen has said it could be you know mmf ffm fmnb could refer to triads all this sort of stuff i'm doing all the hand gestures over here jen's laughing at me i have no doubt um i think that we could start using something more like polyamorous polyandry just kind of more general term and be more inclusive of people mm-hmm. yeah cool okay. cool i know that was a big rant but it needs to be brought up because listen we all know that book publishing is already exceedingly dismissive of marginalized readers and oftentimes continues to neglect the needs and demands of readers in marginalized and in general communities if we have people saying it's harmful then why are we still using it full stop and 
That does bring us to an end of this nice, long, kind of rambly, deep dive discussion. Thank you for bearing with us. As a reward, I thought we could recommend some of our favorite uh, slash TBR poly reads. So I have a couple. Um, I just downloaded Three Swedish Mountain Men by Lily Gold, which is a contemporary forced proximity set at a snowed-in Swedish mountain cabin thing. I don't know. It just looked really fun, and I like the cover. Lillian Lark is a monster author with Entranced by the Basilisks, which is a triad, monsters with sword crossing, if you know, you know, and Deceived by the Gargoyles, which I think Jen has read, but I need to dive back into. Yeah. Um, Katie Robert, again, no one's surprised. In her Wicked Villain series, I especially loved Learn My Lesson, which is Megara, Megara, friends call me Meg, and Hercules and Hades. And The Sea Witch, which is Ariel, Eric, and Ursula, but with different names. I also have heard really good things about Broken Bonds by Jay Bree, which is Dark Fantasy, Caged Wolf by Carolyn Peckinham, which is Dark Paranormal, and Queen Takes Night by Jolie Sue Burkhart, which is very dark and very paranormal. So those are all on my list. So I am just going to have one call back to when I, I just I loved this series so much. So I really only have one to recommend to you guys. When I read her, it was under the name Sophie Oak. Nights in Bliss, Colorado. <gasps> yeah. Oh, you know it. Yeah. I do. There is just, I don't know how to describe it because really it's the whole series is amazing. It is set in a town like I described before where it is an open, not even secret, it's just an open fact of life that there are people with multiple pairings. There are people with different kind of lifestyles and everybody's just very accepting. It's very nice. It's like this Western small town hidden away, very rural and people are, are encouraged to live however they want to. So, like, the very first one is uh, this woman on the run falls in love with these two cowboys mm-hmm. who have always dreamed of sharing a wife. And, like, she's mm-hmm. finally the right one. Mm-hmm. But, of course, she's, like, on the run. And I remember that. Just, like, the setting. The setting is great. The writing is amazing. The characters make you want to keep reading. Yeah. I wish I had a better description for why they're so good. But it is. It's just, like, like. It's really well done. It's really well done. And she always builds it up. So it's like, oh, God, I need to know the next couple. Yeah. Like, she makes you fall in love with these people ahead of time. So it's like, by the time it's time for their happy ending, it's like, I need to know. Yeah. And the whole series, there's, I think there's really only one person that's a single person. He's like the rich dom of the town where he's like the bad boy. He's like an artist. And you find out, oh, he's had this love forever that he's been keeping an eye on. And as soon as she gets arrested, he like swoops in to save her. And he had like sent her away to protect her from himself. Because of course, he's another one of those tortured doms. He's like, <laughs> I just want to hurt you and it's wrong, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, please hurt me. Like, go for it. <laughs> That's the only one. Otherwise, everybody is either twos or threes. I think there is one three. Don't quote me on that. And it's just, oh, it's so good. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm so sorry. I don't have better words. Yeah. I wasn't totally ready. No, that's okay. Oh, there's this really great one, too. One of my favorites. It's this woman who had been a federal investigator. She had been hunting down a serial killer. And after she nearly dies from that serial killer, she runs away from the two partners who had loved her. She runs away to bliss to kind of heal and recover. And they come back for her because the serial killer is like, struck again and is like coming for her and it's just like this beautiful book of healing and forgiveness and her like accepting them and we should so like there is a lot of heavy plot it is not just like this cute little rural town where Mm. oh hey i'm gonna have two husbands there's serial killers there's biker gangs there's murder there's fire there's revenge oh my god there's this great one with a russian mobster I love this. Do you remember the Russian mobster? One? I don't think I got oh, that far in the series. It was so good. It was the Russian mobster with the waitress. And, oh, God, who was the other? Oh, he was, um, 
I was the doctor. He was the doc, And it was like the doctor had helped the Russian mobster from an injury. And of course, like she's got a whole drama too with an ex politician husband who's trying to blackmail her. It's like, it's so good. That's yeah. There's just constantly like that where it's just like these amazing pairings put together with like the perfect woman pairing everything it's just oh, just please get the books i think we're gonna have to do it for book club yes. at some point sophie oak was the original author she re-released them under her new pen name lexi blake oh okay okay that's yeah. why i was struggling to find it too because it's like i know she updated them with like new stuff and the the town name itself is called bliss yeah and it's just so good yeah it it's is so good. it is really good. i spent so much money buying all these books because yeah. like i needed to know yeah and at the time they were expensive they were more money that i'd ever spent on kindle books ever i remember that for the longest time i would only buy kindle books when i had like a gift card but then it was like oh my god the new lexi blake is out yeah new sophie oak gotta buy it i have to spend the five dollars for this kindle (laughs) book to find out what's gonna happen to my my russian master yeah that's that's definitely a good one so good completely agree so good that is gonna be the only one i recommend because i really want to emphasize please go get it yeah okay so good well on that note lovely listeners you made it we got all the way to the end. Woo! Thank you so much for bearing with us. And don't forget to go fill out the surveys, questions, comments, concerns. If you have recommendations or if you know the name of the book that's the anthropologist in the Himalayas, please message us, ragingromantics.nopal.org. I need to know the title so I can rebuy it again. Thanks. Um, Jen, what are we doing next month? I don't know. <laughs> I never know anymore. I know it's going to be Valentine's Eve, I think. Yeah. So I think actually I want to be... Anti-Valentine's? Yeah, I think I might, I might want to go back to Dark Romance. So I'm going to re-listen to the other podcast and see what I left out and I missed. Okay. And, we and what we know now. From there. Yeah. Know. yeah, it's been a couple of years. So I maybe we'll redo it too because the first one kind of sucked. Yeah, we were not recording happy. in was, Jen's living room. Yeah. And Lucky was not happy. No, so. he did not like Jackie. No. It was bad. It's still, he holds that grudge, I tell you. It's just that he's very fussy about what's his territory. And you were in his space. I know, I know. Perfect dog for me. <laughs> well, on that note, Jen, what do we always say? Rage on! Bye, guys. Bye.